Hudson River two years ago. We had intelligence on a new Sith Inquisitor. The whole operation stank. Metal Gear. Wait, are you talking about Metal Gear? Metal Gear. Mm, Metal Gear. That's right, Aqualads, Aqualasses. Special guest Solid Snake has to go now. But luckily, Johnny C is here to walk us through a very spectacular episode of Obi-Wan Kenobi. This is, of course, Stream Fighter 2, and you might be asking yourself, dude, what's with the shtick right up top? I don't even know who Solid Snake is. Uh, Blah, 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 blah. Here's the thing, dude. This episode of Obi-Wan Kenobi, which was released earlier today, was a pretty darn good eh, half hour, 35 minutes of entertainment, but I was getting some serious Metal Gear vibes, and we'll get into that during the presentation. But as always, everybody, hey, thanks for taking a little bit of time, chilling out in the Aqua Cave, and uh, chatting with me about uh, streaming content that's been recently released. God, I sound like a fucking corporate rag when I say that. Look, we're just going to talk about Star Wars. Today's episode was pretty good. It wasn't as good as the last one, and it reminded me of Metal Gear Solid. That's the whole shtick. So, let's get going. So, our heroes are headed to Jabim, and they have a little bit of recuperation to do since our last episode, where we did wax poetic about the fantastic performance of Hayden Christensen, and We did learn over time, of course, that the fantastic respeacher software uh, using the likeness of James Earl Jones was responsible for recording a Darth Vader dialogue. But I'm hoping that someday, and you know, I'm sure they're not all over it because they don't want to besmirch the legacy of Mr. Jones, and I could certainly, certainly understand that. I have not seen any confirmation or denial that the respeacher process was applied to Hayden Christensen's onset spoken dialogue. Because, man, we even got some more lines in this one, that, briefly, mind you, because Vader only appears briefly, but it really felt as if Hayden was delivering these words. But if you want to talk Hayden Christensen, we cannot go any further without talking about the fantastic cross-cut back-to-tank sequence. This is the type of sequence that I feel like we need a little bit more of. Um... It had more of a directorial flair. And, well, but you know what, though? I don't want to say negative things about directorial because I rewatched episode three. And I do think the director, the directing was, was top-notch. I feel like it could have been a little bit more kinetic, okay? Uh, not saying that I want Michael Bay out here. Um, maybe it just changes over time as I view it. But today's episode, top, top fucking notch. Um, it probably stands out a little bit more because... Now that episode three has come and gone, we've had some time to sit on it. I still think it's just as good, but honestly, there was so much fanboy happening while watching that. It was difficult to pay attention to uh, the greater, you know, what is it? The sum is greater than the parts or what have you. Like the parts were really, were really firing. The sum was, you know, what have you. It was still really good. Don't get me wrong. I have, I'm not retracting anything. It's just, you know you sometimes get a little overwhelmed with what you're viewing. This episode allowed things to sink in a little bit more. It played out at a different pace, and it didn't have, you know, uh, let's see, 2005 was episode three. It didn't have, you know, 17 years of emotional payoff built into it as well. But as I'd mentioned, Ben, Obi-Wan Kenobi, is in the back-to-tank healing from his burns. Um, 
Well, guess what, folks? Darth Vader knows a thing or two about the back to tank because he practically lives in one. And we get some fantastic cross-cutting where, another Metal Gear reference, um, Obi-Wan feels the phantom pain of Darth Vader's phantom limbs, if you will. He gets to... I don't... it's my interpretation that in this moment in the Force, these two are connected not only because they're at emotional peaks because of their recent confrontation. Uh, they're not a dyad in the Force. Let's not talk about Star Wars Episode Nine, okay? But what they are are leaked, and you know they're going through the back to the. It's just it was it was fantastically done. It was very poetic, and I really appreciated getting some more views of Mr. Christensen as well. Meanwhile, in the Fortress Inquisitorius, the greatest fortress of all time um princess leia is being interrogated by uh the third sister reva and folks i make no bones about it princess leia has got some big dick energy here okay she is not having any of this shit she is a princess of alderaan the daughter of an imperial senator and she is playing that card but it's done in such a fantastic way that comes across as being sort of her natural character but we know that that isn't um, it's just a really good that dual layers to the Leia character that she gains over time. I really appreciated it. Um, so we go back to um, let's see. In, in, I guess where where are we? We're Jabim, I suppose, and we meet Roken. And folks, I, this is not my gag. Literally, I'm typing Roken, uh, which is O'Shea Jackson Jr. in a fine, thankless performance because there's honestly nothing to do here. But God damn it, I typed Roken and it auto-corrected to Token. And I feel like if that joke hasn't been made... First of all, it's awful. It's not a joke. I should say joke because jokes are funny. But like, it was like... I'm just surprised someone in the writer's room didn't catch it. But whatever. They did kill his Force-sensitive wife. So Roken has a tragic backstory. But again, he gets no development. And I I was like, oh, I thought O'Shea Jackson Jr. was going to be like a part of this. And he's certainly a part of it, but he's not really like a part of it, if that makes sense. Um, And now they're just a gang of like freedom fighters. Uh, There's a couple of pilots as well, and that's fine. But this all happens very quickly, and I have zero emotional investment in anyone except Obi-Wan. And I'm starting to get there with Tala, but it's still kind of weak. But the gist of the plot being that they're going to head to the Fortress Inquisitorius and rescue Princess Leia. It's on the planet Nur, which is actually in the Mustafar system, which I found kind of interesting. Because you think of Mustafar as being like a planet of all fire and flame and lava. And then you've got Nur, which from what we've seen is a planet of all water. I don't know. I just like the synergy there. Um, and I love, love that they say that's Vader's system. And it's like, uh, it, it, whoa. Whoa. To the point that Ben even says, is Vader there? He's fearful of this shit. Obi-Wan Kenobi is afraid of Darth Vader, and I think that is a perfect development in the character. Because, man, when we meet them in episode four, he's got the old man swag. You know, he knows he's going to die. He's going to buy some time. He can't possibly, he's not there to possibly win. But here, man, he just has not had that confidence at all. But I love seeing him take that journey, and that's one of the best parts of this entire series. It's a revelation that I did not expect to have. The Force has clearly broken Ben Kenobi, and he's trying to forget the past to save his present. And Ewan McGregor hopefully will be in some sort of conversation for an award down the road. We go back to Reva interrogating Princess Leia, and she's... 
she's great here. Moses Ingram really gets moments to shine. She has a bit of a weak mustache twirly moment later on that I'll briefly cover, but it should be noted. And a lot of it is... It's dialogue-intensive stuff, it's reaction, so there's not a lot of plot development to it, but this back-and-forth between Riva and Leia is fantastic. You should definitely go, I mean spoilers, we all know the Stream Fighter 2 is a spoiler show, alright? And we're getting to Metal Gear, don't worry. I am I know that some of you are just hanging on for the Metal Gear talk, we're gonna get there, I promise. But we all know you have to infiltrate a facility, and we're just not there yet. Hey, speaking of infiltrating a facility, the good guys arrive to infiltrate the Fortress Inquisitorius. And I love the TIE Flighters hanging from the ceiling. It's a real cool visual. And what's basically about to occur occur, is Tala is flying into the fortress. And she's going to use her Imperial credentials to get Obi-Wan Kenobi into the fortress. That's your basic setup. The paths that we take to get there and the tense moments that we're experiencing are really... Star Wars when it fires at its best. I was actually having a conversation with a gentleman at work today. Uh, he hadn't seen episode four yet, and he knew I had, of course. And I said, it's really great, and it does really great Star Wars stuff. And he was like, oh, is there another lightsaber fight? And I was like, well, no, there really isn't a lightsaber fight. But you've got to keep in mind that, you know, Star Wars is dogfighting and sneaking in and saving the princess. Like, there's all sorts of different things that can happen in a second or a third act in Star Wars. And I think that's part of the genius of it. It really taps into a lot of different genres. And, um, you know, the the tactical espionage action genre is where we were heading today with this episode. So we're pivoting from lightsabers. But, you know, it's it's just goes to show that there's so much to play with when you're given Star Wars and handed to it. And I think director Deborah Chow is really, really stretching her legs here. And, and it's exciting. It's exciting that we've got two episodes left because I feel like there's so much more to come. And, and we're off the track, but, you know, I started thinking about the different wheelhouses that Star Wars can play in. You know, when I was a kid, you know what I liked best about Star Wars was the space battles. And then, of course, when the prequels came out, that pivoted to lightsaber battles. I feel like that makes sense. But goddamn, am I a sucker for a good space battle. And that sequel trilogy was really reaching for that. They all have, honestly. I mean, I guess when you compare it to A New Hope, what really is. But Return of the Jedi has some good stuff. Phantom Menace is okay. Uh, Episode 3 is where the fun begins. So that's a pretty goddamn good dogfight. But it's short. And it doesn't have stakes like blowing up the Death Star. So, anywho, I guess that's a topic for another time. Let's get back to infiltrating the secret bad guy base. Hey, I think they've done that in Star Wars a few times. So Tala makes her way into the workings of the Fortress Inquisitorius and, you know, immediately pulls rank on a security guard, basically, that's trying to keep her out of the inner bowels of the fortress. I like this interplay here. I like seeing Tala as an Imperial. I feel like it adds a little bit to the character. But it also, of course, ratchets up the suspense, which is why we're here. We're in an infiltration mode. We're breaking into the Death Star, the Star Killer. Uh, we're breaking into... God, what haven't they broken into in Star Wars? Um, the Geonosis Droid Factory. We're breaking into... Uh, I'm done. <laughs> so, as she is going into the fortress past the security guard, I got a feel, and this is not something I'm adding in post because I've got this whole Metal Gear Solid theme of infiltration to this episode of Stream Fighter, but I, it really felt like sort of a video game cutscene or the opening to a video game where your mission was about to start. And I'm not wrong here 
because we're going to see here in a minute, uh, Tala is pretty much going to go sit down in a chair and become our guy in the chair, to use an expression from the Marvel Cinematic Universe. You know, she's going to be Otacon. She's going to be the person on the other end of the radio who has access to the map that guides us through the uh, Shadow Moses infiltration, the Shadow Moses facility, or the Big Shell Um well, all, it's really the Fortress Inquisitorius. Those are, again, Metal Gear jokes. And I really feel bad for the people tuning in uh, that don't understand the Metal Gear references, not only because that means you haven't played Metal Gear, but you're kind of missing out. And for that, I apologize. Um, but it does feel video gamey. So you want to talk about infiltrating the Fortress Inquisitorius or infiltrating Shadow Moses Island, uh, legendary warrior Solid Snake infiltrates from the sea as always, uh, even when he infiltrates the big shell. Well, I guess that's Raiden, but the point is is that we get to see Ewan McGregor as Obi-Wan Kenobi again swimming through an ocean, or I guess a lake as it was in The Phantom Menace, but I never thought we'd go underwater in Star Wars again. I'm still waiting for the show that takes place on Mon Calamari. It's not that short little micro episode of Kit Fisto battling uh, battle droids underwater and then smiling at the camera. Man, that dude is the king of spiking the camera, by the way. He should be a professional wrestler, that Kit Fisto. But a couple of wise words came into my brain as I'm watching Obi-Wan swim. There's always a bigger fish. Speaking of which, no references to Qui-Gon Jinn this time, but we'll get there, I'm sure. But swimming does return to Star Wars. So Tala... Uh, tells Obi-Wan that he can get in through like an infiltration unit or something like that that she's about to unlock. And there is a single solitary stormtrooper walking back and forth, sort of guarding the area where this access panel is. Um, Kind of just like in the beginning of every Metal Gear Solid game, but that's okay. You reference what works, people. You reference what you love, okay? Um, And then Obi-Wan Kenobi does indeed take the uh, stormtrooper out. I think he chokes him out or breaks his neck and then throws him in the water so no one else will find him. God, that's just what you do in Metal Gear Solid as well. That's that's weird. Um, I'm assuming that the, the series Obi-Wan Kenobi is eventually building to Obi-Wan Kenobi saying his classic line. And I will agree that the tone of the series hasn't really fit it so far. But imagine, if you will, this stormtrooper's walking back and forth. Uh, and he he's walking forward. He comes to turn backward. And there is a wet-ass, like, 50-year-old Jedi soaked to the bone, making a giant puddle on his nice, clean floor. And Obi-Wan just looks at him, spikes the camera, and says, Hello there! Like, that would have been the perfect time to do it because he's, you know, obviously trying to keep the uh, stormtrooper off guard. So a nice gentlemanly introduction. Why not? It also would have cut the tension with a little bit of humor. But, hey... I'm not writing the show. That's not what I'm paid to do. But I would have felt remiss if I didn't mention it because I really thought that any second now he's going to turn around and the stormtrooper is going to be like, what? Blast him. He's going to be like, hello there. But alas, it didn't happen. But things that did happen on a stage that looks kind of reminiscent of the interrogation room from The Force Awakens. I'm wondering if it's a reuse set, but I don't really care because it creates brand synergy. We've got Reva trying to indeed do the Kylo Ren mind suck trick. And I say mind suck because she's trying to suck information out of Leia's brain. Um, but, you know, it's kind of cool to see this. I don't recall anyone but Kylo Ren doing this type of version where you kind of actively put your hand up to the person's temple and kind of strain like you're sucking out information. Now, I'm not saying it's the most visually amusing thing to see in cinema, but it's a dark side move, and I like seeing Reva use it. I like seeing Kylo Ren do it. Kylo Ren's the best part of that fucking sequel trilogy. You want to fight about it? Let's go. Um, 
but I was here for it. And then Riva sort of pulls a soliloquy. You know, she kind of pulls a Hamlet. Alas, poor Yurik. Alas, poor Lola, man. Everything taken from her. Um, we would learn later why she took such an interest in Lola. But I appreciated this peek into a life that Riva used to have before she was an inquisitor and, uh, you know, uh, serving the Empire, if you will. I was going to say serving Vader, but I think that, I don't know, it's interesting if her ties lie with Vader. Because everything I've thought about this character, aside from the fact that she has a Jedi youngling origin that we saw witness to, her motivations and her plans, you know... What if she's just kind of a joke? What if she just wants to see the galaxy burn? You know, what if she's honestly trying to work both sides? Great, I hope they kill each other. They can fucking have the galaxy. I'm out. I don't know. I really hope, I'm starting to really appreciate the fact that Reva seems like a wild card type character. Because Star Wars is very clean cut in a sense of like, dashing good guys, terrible bad guys, and that's fine. It's Saturday matinee serial stuff. And yes, Reva has been a mustache-twirling villain, but here in her quiet moments, when there's only one stormtrooper present who he knows, the stormtrooper knows that Reva could kill him at any moment, so they're not going to say a goddamn thing. And Leia's a 10-year-old that Reva's quote-unquote dominating. So you kind of see her as she truly is. And I don't really know who that person is. And that is another thing that's keeping me interested in this. I mean, there's a trillion things keeping me interested in this show. But when it comes to new characters, she is definitely, and I think that's fitting because she's the one that's gotten the most focus. But I feel like it's, the mystery is there. The carrot there dangling is something I want to come back to. So good on the writer's room. As I mentioned, Tala is the guy in the chair, and at this point, she pulls up maps from fucking a video game, but, and that is not a criticism, it's just, I'm feeling this episode all over, we're infiltrating, we're, and then Obi-Wan is sneaking around, hiding, it's a stealth mission, Snake, it's a stealth mission, Ben, he's not here to raise a ruckus, and I'm really, really enjoying that. He hides from a seeker droid, and it's just Metal Gear Star Wars at this point. This is sort of when I realized it as I was live watching it. My, let me read you my note verbatim. Obi-Wan hides from a seeker droid. Okay, now we're just in Metal Gear Star Wars, but then I wrote, let's go, <laughs> which is what the kids say, so I'm hip. Um, and then we get a, a, a mind, not a mind trick, but we get a, he, Obi-Wan makes a sound to make the stormtroopers look the other way. And that's just a, what was that noise from the original Metal Gear Solid? Because this trooper, what was that noise? They follow it. It's fucking brilliant. And why is there not a Metal Gear stealth Star Wars game, folks? I'm here to act as a consultant. Hit me up at the Johnny C. Uh, we go back to Riva. And Leia sort of gives in to all this tension, gives in to the fear. And she tells Riva that she's going to reveal the hidden fortress of the path, which is what Reva's trying to find. She's trying to find the individuals that, according to what she's telling Leia, betrayed Obi-Wan and let him die, okay? Because, you know, the narrative of her is that Obi-Wan is indeed dead. Now, Leia, like I said, she, she gets ready to reveal the truth, and I swear to you folks, I would have lost my shit, and I'm kind of glad they didn't do it because it's kind of a bad idea to reference it, like, a, like it's kind of too spiking the camera, like, hey guys, remember Star Wars? But if she would have said, they're on Dantooine, I would have fucking lost it and been like, that's the greatest thing in the history of our sport. But then I was like, no, that's really one step too far in terms of like winking at the camera. But alas, it is what it is. Uh, Reva, after 
I forget what Leia does say, but she's she's lying. Uh, Reva goes to put her in the legitimate torture device that they put Poe in in The Force Awakens. I haven't looked it up, but I am 99.0% sure that that's the case. Uh, but I, you know, maybe I'll let maybe I'll let you know on the next episode. Um, Obi-Wan gets deeper into the Fortress Inquisitoris, you know, and, and it's kind of off the radar, off the map stuff. Like, he's just a few rooms away from Metal Gear, if this is a video game. But to take it serious, I mean, we've got the dead Jedi in like, well, here's we have Jedi bodies that are either frozen in carbonite or like encased in fucking amber from Jurassic Park. I don't know. I didn't recognize these Jedi. I'm, I'm, I'm imagining they're probably from Clone Wars or books or something like that. But we couldn't have got someone that was just a bit more recognizable. And I'm not saying that. Like, obviously, the point of this show is not to reference other shows. Okay, that's very Marvely. But at the same time, like they could, there had to have been some Jedi that looked interesting. Like I know Plukun, Kiati Mundi, and Ala Sakula all died in the movie proper, and so did Kit Fisto, that smiling fuck. <laughs> what, wow, what if they reveal you've got a Sam Jackson in here? I mean, that's that's huge. And Okay, now I'm just fucking fantasy casting. Let's move on. Oh, it's Planet Florum is where Leia tells them that they are. I wanted to look that up to see if it's an actual thing. Um, it reminds me of Felucia, which is where Aayla Sakura was killed, actually. In uh, Star Wars Battlefront 2. That's how I know that. For the PlayStation 2 greatest fucking game ever. Well, it's not the greatest, but it's, I played way too much of that game. I know it has flaws. Um, here's something that's interesting. Tala uh, convincing all the Imperials that she is indeed an Imperial. I really appreciate getting to see her play the duality. Because as viewers, she's a new character. So... She might be telling, like, we don't know what face she's wearing. She's so good at it in terms of, um, you know, people seem to believe her and buy into her shtick, if you will, that we don't know if the, which face she's wearing or showing us when the camera's around, in, you know, quotes, is her actual face or her actual uh, end game desire. We'll have to wait and see. It's another good hook that they've got going here. You know what I mean? Um, as I mentioned, though, Leia is going into um, the torture chamber. And Ryan Johnson, I don't know if he's seen this, but I think this would make him proud. I'm not here to talk about The Last Jedi. It has a few problematic subplots, problematic being like just kind of boring. But man, is it a good movie. And that Snoke's throne room scene with the burning uh, First Order flags and and, uh, tarps what have you, and then the view of space. I mean, good Lord, man, that is a visually compelling piece of cinema. Now, that's kind of loud compared to what I'm about to talk about, but the lighting used when Obi-Wan kills those two stormtroopers and rescues Princess Leia when she's in the torture device. The blue, and this is a theme that carries on from this point forward, Obi-Wan is back to using the lightsaber, and he is covered in blue light in fantastic directorial filmmaking ways that I don't know the technical name for. I'm not sure what these movements are called or what the lighting technique is, but man, fucking fantastic. This is, and I think that the directing that we're seeing is really great with personalized stakes that aren't as large. I think 
The script may have outclassed the directing in the last episode purely from a narrative standpoint of being that there's all this emotional buildup. I think it was shot fantastically, you know, but when you envision it in your mind, you sort of envision this ridiculous set piece. And while we did get a fantastic set piece, it was a closed set piece, kind of like the Cloud City battle. Um, so, yeah, I guess uh, I'm okay with it in retrospect. It's just it's just interpreting the directorial choices in different ways. Uh, they work great for television, and the emotion is here, so no points taken, just something I'm pointing out for the hell. That's what we do here. You know, we talk about uh, film. We talk about streaming content. It is Stream Fighter 2, after all. And, and I don't I don't want to get too far away from this rescue and the directorial techniques and the lighting used. Uh, I don't want to get too far away from it before I lose my point, which was I thought it was a, an important choice to bathe Obi-Wan in the blue light here against the darkness because take a look especially at the way he takes out this first Stormtrooper. He is hacking and slashing and pissed. Darth Vader in the suit style. I found that an interesting choice. And then, I mean, he fucking Jason Voorhees's or Freddy Krueger's the second guy because the guy's like, oh, 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 where are you? And just, psh, that's a lightsaber igniting, by the way. I mean, it's it's kind of frightening, but awesome. It's such a choice. And that's why this series, I think, is really going to, I don't want to put my foot in my mouth. I think it's going to be a, a part of the canon that lives on and it is, it is touted around as, yeah, that's something they got right after the fact. You know what I mean? Um, we're kind of living in this era of people hating on what they get in terms of franchise content making. And it's it's really in vogue to hate on 7, 8, 9. It was really in vogue to hate on 1, 2, and 3 when they first came out. I can attest that. And now they're the fucking everybody's greatest achievements. And that's fine. It's just it's the cyclical nature of things. Um, where are we here? Oh, the cipher spots Solid Snake, or the droid spots uh, Obi-Wan and Leia. And we are spending the rest of this episode, folks, in warning mode, where the troopers, they just keep coming. I'm loving that as this chase through the corridors continues on, Obi-Wan encounters various uh, packs of stormtroopers, and with each battle, he starts to get his saber flourish back. I don't know any way to describe it, but he adds more grandeur to his style, and the more poetic and fluid, like, performance nature of lightsaber fighting that we got in the prequel era, he's kind of starting to get his groove back. It's interesting this happens after he sort of dabbles in the dark by slaughtering those troopers. I'm not saying they're going, uh, they're going to make Obi-Wan a tweener. <laughs> you know, he's staying babyface. It's just interesting that he's getting his groove back in the heat of battle, which seems like a very Sith thing to do. Eventually, we get to a corridor that has glass windows that, you know, let us view the outside water beauty of this planet and uh, we get some amazing suspense with a broken window that's cracking and about to flood the whole thing now obviously we talk spoilers here so you've seen this sequence to for me to try to speak about it in terms that would do it justice is not uh, it's not worth our time now it wasn't like the greatest thing in cinema history but it was so well done. It was so much fun. And it was an interesting twist for a Star Wars-style uh, battle or action set piece. We're not dealing with water a lot. It might be in the background or part of the window dressing, but not usually a threat. So I really appreciated it. It was just a nice new coat of paint for Star Wars. And damn it, that's what this is all about, right? Yep, I believe so too. Um, there's some 
really nice stuff here towards the end um, of this sequence too. Uh, obviously, the glass breaks, the womb floods, our heroes are safe. It also reminded me very much of the ending of the Temple of Doom when they're on the bridge, by the way. I don't know why, but it popped into my head as Obi-Wan was trying to hold the glass back. But the fucking drowned, dead stormtroopers floating in the abyss behind the door. Yeah, there's a directing Emmy, right? Uh, just, just putting that out there, okay? Um, so we've had some amazing... Uh, stealth style. We've had some great battles, some fantastic camera work, some haunting choices with light. We need to end this episode strong with some fucking physical comedy. Folks, we've got three people trying to sneak out of a military fortress and we've only got two jackets. Obi-Wan hiding Leia in his coat is so Looney Tunes and ridiculous. It perfectly fits like the it's a perfect capper to this insane journey we've been on with like emotional peaks and fear and and large stakes. It's like, could it really just come to this? Could we really get out of here pulling the old two people in a coat trick? It's brilliant. And I hope it was a choice that they came to in the writer's room uh, via discussion. I hope they had something else planned. And then someone was like, folks, are we overthinking this or underthinking this i just would love to have been a fly on the wall for that conversation or was it just the first thing they thought of i don't know i don't want to give them under credit or over credit but it just felt like a great choice the inquisitors arrive it's a standoff we do some more gun stuff to make a long story short the pilots from earlier that we totally forgot about if you're me show up in the speeders from that will eventually be used on hoth and the Empire Strikes Back. And the visuals are cool. Uh, seeing the fighters uh, in the fortress is cool. It reminds me of that scene where they break out in the tie from Episode 7, which is, of course, a great scene where you get to see action inside the docks. And, of course, I guess The Last Jedi has a set piece in a burning dock as well. But uh, these characters showing up, I had just zero investment in them. And, I mean, I know some people tonight might be pouring out liquor for Wade. But not me, man. I got no stakes in Wade. <laughs> I'm sorry you died, dude, but I'm not getting upset about it. And I feel like the episode tried to, to hang a hat on that being a sad thing is a failure that I absolutely want to point out. Because you point out the negative stuff too, guys. It's not, nothing is perfect, okay? But that's a little blemish, but whatever. I don't care. It's fine. Also, earlier when Reva was talking to Tala, I, I didn't feel Reva's performance as much. That was what I was talking about, the little blemish that she had this episode. Didn't want to leave that out as we power towards the end. So the good guys get away on the speeders, and uh, fucking Darth Vader is here. Was he not here the whole time? I don't care. I'm just happy to see him. And dude, man, I'm getting. he's doing this power anger walk, and it's... I know it's Hayden Christensen in the suit. I can't explain why I know it is. I mean, I know it is because I know it is, but I can't explain why I see him under that suit with the long hair from episode three. Obviously, he looks different. The character looks different. I don't know why it feels so organic as if I am just got done watching episode three and I'm watching episode three and a half now. I, I can't explain it. It's just, I don't know if they get... Has anyone in a mask ever won an acting award? I'm not trying to be goofy. I'm not trying to play fanboy here. There's something about this performance. It just shines through in this... I don't know. It's certainly an uncanny achievement. And if... I don't know. Maybe he can get like a full-time... I, I, well, I, if they want him to play Vader, if they can do this re-speecher thing 
and record over Hayden's inflection with the James Earl Jones audio library, and he continues to perform in the suit. Folks, they can take me all the way to Rogue One if they want to with Vader shit. I am fucking here for it. But uh, he power walks and chokes Reva at the same time. I, I honestly thought he was just going to murder her here, and like it was just going to be kind of like a red herring that she was an important character. Um, but she pulls the old, oh, but I set a trap, and Vader's like, oh, I like traps. It's, it's cooler than that, but uh, it's Lola, right? I mean, everybody knew when she said she put a homie beacon on it. We all knew it was Lola. And yeah, as they mourn Wade, in the speeders and meet up with O'Shea Jackson Jr. again. Roken, I think his name is. Yeah, I really hope they do something there. But as they all meet up, and there is a nice, quiet, beautiful moment where Leia holds Obi-Wan's hand, trying to feel safe. Um, it, Lola is indeed the spy. She's the bug. She's She's got a virus. Um, you know, and, and we end our scene, directed by Deborah Chow. Um you know, I talked myself into wanting to rewatch this episode for a third time. So I think that it's one that really grows on you when you realize that your hangover from the spectacle, the mental spectacle, the buildup in your head of episode three, once that wears off, you got a really fun uh, second, almost third act of a Star Wars movie here. It's not, it's the the thing we do to break out of this, the space fortress that leads to the giant battle at the end. You know what I mean? And, and man, I put it on par with that, um, what is Snoke's battleship called? Obviously, the lightsaber fight stands out as its own thing, but I would put this up there with the infiltration of the uh, the, the Supreme, Supremacy. Is that Snake's ship? Snake's, Snoke's. Too many S's. <laughs> Not enough hours in a day, folks. But anyway, I think you get what I'm trying to say. So this episode of Obi-Wan Kenobi was fantastic in all the ways that are different from episode three. And that's one of the things about this show that blows me away. Uh, It continues to reinvent itself each, each week by tapping into a different corner of the Star Wars films that we are comfortable with and accents the positives and only lets the teeniest and tiniest of negatives fall in, folks. So I think at the end of the day, we're going to go a solid eight on this episode. And I'm removing the scale from this one. I don't think your fandom plays into this one at all. I think this is a solid eight of television. I feel like seven is way too low and nine is too close to perfect. So we'll go... Now, you know what? Fuck it. We're going to go eight and a half because it was pretty close to nine. Um all things considered, because it really taps into different elements of Star Wars, and we got the fun little Metal Gear tie-in that we got to talk about for a little bit, which made for fun podcasting, which made this a show that I certainly enjoy producing, which I guess is something you could say about all the content here on the Aqua Cave. We cover uh, pop culture, wrestling, uh, things of that nature, if you will. We've had a lot of fun uh, releasing the bulk tracks out there. They're sort of the tongue-in-cheek riffs of rock and wrestling up by the bulk Hogan character. Just released his episode where he takes on Donkey Kong for 20 straight minutes. It was hell on my voice. Uh, we've got new episodes of UPN. We've got the first episode of Kingfish, which covers Sunday Night Heat. The first episode of WCW Must Die that was produced solely for the Aqua Cave is now out there in the wild. And if you're listening to this on the day it releases, you should already know that I released an episode of Stream Fighter 2 that covers episode 1 of Disney Plus Brethren, a Brethren, Ms. Marvel, 
which was a fun romp, but I'm not going to say anything more about it because, folks, you got to get out of that show if you want to hear my opinion on that. But keep coming back if you're enjoying the takes and the opinions and the fun discussion that we're having here on Stream Fighter 2. That's going to wrap up the discussion of Obi-Wan Kenobi Episode 4. And by God, the only sad moment I have now is realizing that there's only two left. But we'll bring them to you each week here in the Aqua Cave. <laughs>